0: We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and it says this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, thanks for speaking it to us through your word. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just remove any distractions from our hearts and our minds right now, that we would just be open to your word. Encourage us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you give the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter um, throughout this spring. And we're going to look at it uh, one more time next week. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back to it in the fall. But as we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, Peter has been saying this. He's been talking and he wrote this to a group of Christians who were under persecution. They were uh, a persecuted group of people who had no rights. Um, and the question is, how do you live in a culture and a society where, of persecution when you don't have rights. How should a Christian live? And the first thing he said to them was: Look to your living hope. Look and see your great salvation. That's where you get your identity, not in your position. You get your identity in your great salvation. And then he said throughout this, is look at your great example. We're supposed to be holy as God is holy. And Jesus is our example. And then for the last couple of weeks. What he moved to is, look at your great salvation, look at your great example, and now look at the great opportunity that you have to further God's kingdom in real practical ways. And the way that you do that, he said, is through submission. And he said, so in verse 13, he said, be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution. So the way that the kingdom of God is going to be advanced So like it says in verse 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. This is our opportunity for us to do that. And the way we do that is through submission. And he says we submit to civil government. Even if we don't agree with them or even if we didn't vote for them, we're supposed to submit to them. That's how Christians are to live in their culture. Then you're supposed to, servants are supposed to submit to their masters, which when we apply it to our lives, in many ways, it would be like our work and our vocation. We're supposed to submit to our bosses. And then he moves it even more practically along the way. And now he talks about marriage and wives and husbands. And we're gonna look at the husbands next week, but this week he's talking about Wives, and it's a great opportunity. This passage in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, is not primarily a passage about marriage. It's primarily a passage about evangelism. It's how can a wife who is married to an unsaved individual reach her husband with the gospel. But it does also have a lot to say for us about marriage. Marriage. In the culture that we live in today, they are constantly, and it is constantly and currently, marriage is being redefined. And it is still in the process of being redefined in our culture. This week's Time Magazine, which is coming out, the the June 13th edition of Time Magazine, on the cover of Time Magazine, is an article on how to stay married for a lifetime. That's the cover article this week. And on People Magazine this week's cover was the breakup of a famous Hollywood couple. And all that says to me is that when they're, when they're choosing what to put on the cover of magazines, they're saying, what's important to people? What are people going to be thinking about? What's going to attract people to buy this magazine? And you don't put that on the cover. So what that says to me is that our culture, even though its marriage is being redefined in so many ways, marriage is still, still very important to our culture. It's extremely important to our culture, and people care about their life. They care about their marriage. But it's being redefined. And before I just look at this, I wanted to say a few things of what that's going to be a good point for us as a church, just to state what we believe the Bible teaches. It's called to live under God's law. The Bible says that God is the one who designed marriage. And God, in his design for marriage, he designed roles for people to be a part of. He designed the roles of life for us to exist in. And God designed and intended marriage to be between a man and a woman. And God designed it to be a marriage between a man and a woman prior to living together, prior to having sex with each other, and prior to children. Marriage was to come first. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, that's what he, how God designed it. I just wanted to share the position that we believe the Bible teaches. And if you have questions about what we actually believe and where does that say that in the Bible, I would love for you to come and talk to me about it. And we can just discuss it. We can show it from Scripture for wondering where where is this and how do we know that and why do we believe it that way? But God designed also marriage to be between believers as Christians, two Christians, two believers, two followers of Jesus Christ, should marry each other. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6:14, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, because marriage, according to the Bible, is more than just two people getting together. It is a picture of Christ and the church, and marriage is supposed to magnify and promote and picture Christ's love for the church. Karen Jobs, who is a woman? who wrote one of the best commentaries on First Peter, when she was sec- talking about this section, she said this, The call of faith in Christ is a call for life-changing personal realignment. As Christians, when we look at the Bible, we come to the Bible and we can't go by what our culture says. We can't go by even what our own feelings tell us. We look at Scripture and we see what the Bible has to say and we realign our personal beliefs and our personal lives according to what Scripture says. And that's what we need to do when we look at Scripture. The historical context of this passage is that when women were talked about in this passage, it's amazing that Peter even mentioned women. Because the culture of the day treated women like slaves. They were just uh, things to be used. They were a nobody. They could be treated however they wanted to be treated. But the Bible always elevates the role of women. And for people, for Peter to address slaves, and then for Peter to address women and wives in particular, is very significance because the historical way of life of a wife in the greco-roman culture was they were objects to be used and then they were they were some of them were loved not everyone treated them that way but it would have been okay and acceptable to feel that way but often we read first Peter chapter three it says likewise wives be subject or be submissive which is what this whole passage is supposed to be about for all of us we're supposed to be submissive to our government. We're supposed to be submissive to our bosses. Wives are supposed to be submissive to their husbands. And husbands are supposed to be mutually submissive to the wives. We're going to see that next week. Initially, that comes across for many people as a complete negative. And many people in our day would just get instantly turned off by that. So before I, we look at what it actually is saying to us, I just wanted to mention at the beginning what it is not saying to us. When the Bible says in this passage, when Peter is talking about wives being submissive to their husbands, submission is is not slamming the intelligence of women. It is not saying to women, substitute your brain when you get married for some kind of subservience. That's not at all what it's saying. When you look at the passage, it's not saying that at all about these wives and how they treat their husband. They're, they're trying to move their husbands from one belief system to another belief system. They're, they're trying to win them. That takes uh, a skill. And so Peter is not saying being submissive to your husband is a slam to a woman's intelligence. It's not substituting your brain for some kind of subservience. It's not saying anything about a woman's identity, her credibility, or her giftedness. And it's also saying that there's never a time that you say no to your spouse's every, or that you have to say yes to your spouse's every demand and desire. Because even in this passage, in verse, whole section on submission, it says we're supposed to fear God. And so it is right to say no to sin. So we fear God, not man. Peter is not This is good news, is what Peter's trying to give these women. These are women, most likely, who were married to unsaved men. And the goal is to reach them. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. What Peter is saying If you're an individual married to a man that's not a Christian, or even if you're a Christian woman who's married to a Christian man who's not living by the word like he should, how do you respond to that? How should you live in submission to that? How do you reach that person for the gospel or help them wake up to the reality that they say that they believe? And Peter, I think, says the first thing that we do as we put a woman, a wife, in that situation, is to put Jesus Christ first in your marriage. These are women who are struggling with the fact that they have unsaved men. They want to reach them. And the problem was in the culture back there is that women weren't treated well and could be treated as nothing. And Peter says, hey... Now that you're a believer now that you have a new identity in christ They probably knew what paul said in galatians 3 There is neither jew nor greek There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus And but what he says to them is don't take this new identity of yours where you realize that hey not only am I somebody, I'm equal with men. I'm equal with my husband and try to lord that over them in some way and use the Bible to do that. He says, no, that's not going to reach them. The goal is to win them to Christ. And the way you do it is by being submissive in your attitude. There's a call to suffering in this. Just like right before it, it talks about how Jesus suffering suffered. So we we put Jesus Christ first in your marriage. If your husband is spiritually a deadbeat, your attitude is not to browbeat, but to submit and suffer in that. And in your actions, these women were gathering with other believers. They were going to church. They were, they were getting together, it says. It says they were to submit to their own husbands. But they clearly were part of the church. They were clearly connected. People knew what they believed. And in the culture back then, to become married to an individual, meant you were to take on everything that they believed. You would take on their religion. You would take on all their practices. That's what a wife was expected to do. So for a Christian woman in this culture... To get married and then to make an allegiance to Jesus Christ was unbelievably countercultural, unbelievably scandalous in many ways. And Peter says, Don't use scripture that way. Be submissive in your attitudes and in your actions, which which means this in our day, it's always going to be messy in these situations, it's going to be messy for a church in these situations. Because there's going to be, sometimes people come into church and then they can't always be there and then they can't go and it's tough. And listen, we do have people in our church who are married women, who are Christians and their husbands not. And that's a tough road to hope. And I would just encourage us as a church that we need to grow in helping those women. What they need is they need christian women who come from good christian marriages to befriend them to reach out to them to call them to pray with them to talk to them because if you wait and try to figure out what's going on for them it's very intimidating they come into church they see all these husbands and wives sitting together many of them would long for that they would love that if you have a even if your husband's not really strong spiritually If you're a Christian woman, you want your husband to be strong spiritually, it's tough to walk into a group of people and try to figure out where you fit in that. And it's on us, it's on the church and on the Christian women of our church to reach out to them, to befriend them, to find them, and realize that, you know what? Your world and their world are completely different. And it's tough. And we need to find ways to encourage them. But it also doesn't say, past, Peter doesn't say in this passage, that a Christian woman who's married to an unchristian man should try to get rid of her husband. Divorce isn't the option for a Christian woman to, married to an unchristian man. 1 Corinthians seven thirteen and 14 says, if, if any woman who has a husband, who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Because actually, the Christian wife brings blessing to that family, the next verse says. Which is why it's vital for us as a church to be reaching out to women who are in that situation. They are bringing an unbelievable and carrying an unbelievable burden and blessing on a family. I really wouldn't challenge you, who could you reach out to? Don't wait for them, women, Christian women in our church. Find them and encourage them. They're trying to put Jesus Christ first in their marriage in a very tough situation, in their attitudes and in their actions. And Peter says, but you're called to submit. You're called to suffer in this. Put Jesus Christ first in your marriage. And then he says to them, put your faith on display so that they may be one without a word by the conduct of, of their wives and he brings up two points in their respect or in their reverence and in their purity or in their presentation or their passion for god and their pure presence he says so live in this relationship so live in your marriage that your husband will see your respectful and pure conduct. And you don't even have to say a word. That's what's going to draw them. There's this passion for God. It says this respect. It says live as free earlier. We as Christians are supposed to live as free. These people were being persecuted. They weren't living as free. They didn't have that freedom even that we have. But he said the Bible says live as free, which means they're not living for their husbands, where they're living for God so they can have this respect for them because they're living free for God. Which means, if you are in that situation, if you have a friend in that situation, not preaching to your husband is probably the best thing you could do. Not playing the radio louder when he walks into the room, just when you think, oh, he's going to hear something, is probably not the best thing to do. Not pointing to other men in the church. You say, oh, I wish you were like this person. This guy at church, he's really spiritual. Or if your husband's a spiritual deadbeat, but he says he's a Christian, not going to church and say, man, if you were just like him some more, or or even dreaming that he would be like that, don't do that. Out of respect for them, he says, Very practically, put your faith on display and use as your actions and not your words be the thing that will draw them, Peter says to be one, to the gospel. And then he says, through your pure presence. Because he says, don't don't make it about how you look on the outside. Which in the Greco-Roman culture, they would take this over the top. The women would spend hours fixing their hair and wearing all this stuff because it was about outward appearance. He is not saying in any way that you should not wear jewelry or makeup Make yourself look good. Frumpiness is not the goal of spirituality. It's not what he's saying at all. Being unattractive as much as possible and your husband will love you. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is don't make that your goal. Don't think that if you really make yourself look great physically, that your husband's going to say, wow, your physical beauty must mean your spirituality is so powerful. I want that. He's, that's not what he's, not, he's saying, don't do it that way. Don't live your, la- that, your life that way. He's actually saying, make your pure presence the inner beauty of a meek and quiet spirit, which is culturally compelling. Because it was saying, hey, the rest of the world is saying, look this way, dress this way, do these things. And a Christian man and an unsaved man back then knew what his wife and how he could treat his wife. But if a Christian woman would build her quiet and meek spirit, not be lashing out at him, not be nagging at him, not trying to outdo every other woman, he would see in her an unbelievable beauty is what it says, which is very precious to God. Is how he defined it. It's very precious to God. It's praying for your husband. It's encouraging him. Even in that whole process, it's absolutely counter-cultural. Not trying to make yourself look like something so that he will want you, but make yourself in your attitude beautiful so he'll be so compelled by that. He will be drawn to what you believe. But this should characterize all Christian women. This is how Christian women should just be characterized. The Bible's passage, it says this, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which is an unbelievable statement. Because Peter is writing to women who were treated in the culture like they were cattle. Like like they were things to be owned. Which is pretty much what our culture does still with women today. Our culture and our presentation of women in our culture is we present women as they are parts. And they highlight parts in our culture. Which is why pornography is over the top in our culture that even now unsaved guys are coming out with ways to help stop pornography and how to fight against pornography. Because our culture says women is just parts and the Bible says no. You're a person. You're a whole person. And when you present your whole person to God, it's very beautiful to God and live that way. So he says put Jesus Christ first in your marriage, put your faith on display, and then put your hope in God. And he uses an example. He says, for this, living that way, this gentle and quiet spirit, this putting your faith on display that way, which is a beautiful and attractive, that's how the holy women of God who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And it says a really strange thing. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, which we would not do today. Most women would not call their husband. Well, what does it mean that Sarah called her husband Lord? It doesn't make much sense to us. It seems very odd to us. And when did Sarah call her husband Lord? There is one place in the Bible where Sarah, the wife of Abraham, called Abraham Lord. Back in Genesis chapter 18, God came to Sarah and said, to Abraham and said, Sarah's going to have a wife in her old age. And Abra- and Sarah overheard it and she said, that's ridiculous, I'm old, it's past my time, and she laughed. And so it says in verse, Genesis 18, 12, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, I shall indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. And then it says in this passage in 1 Peter, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good. And do not fear anything that is frightening. Listen, submitting to your husband is to reach them and to let God work in them is a calling of suffering. Because many of you are smarter than your husbands. Teresa is smarter than me. The only thing I did for raising Teresa up in the most part was I moved her name from the S's to the B's. She got raised up about in the alphabet and our abilities. <laughs> Outside of that, Teresa is much smarter than me. She's much more talented than me. She is much more engaging than me, which is why I married her. She lifted me up. And for some of you, that's the reality. And you know it is why. You know you're smarter than the husband. But the Bible says you're supposed to let your husband lead. And it's difficult, and especially if your husband's not a Christian. How do you do that? You put your hope... In God. And you see that that is your calling. And that there is a response to that. Sarah called Abraham Lord as if it was just the way she casually talked about him. The big issue is not that Sarah called Abraham Lord in that passage. The big issue is that this old lady's going to have a baby. And she's like, are you kidding me? Me and my Lord are going to have a baby? And it was, that was like the casual way that she talked about him. It was like... Really, it meant no big deal that she called him Lord. It was not a big deal to her at all because she respected her husband. When Sarah was honoring God and submitting to him and when Abraham was honoring God and submitting to him, the idea of submission was no big deal. And in your marriages, if you as a wife submit to God, and your husband submits to God, the idea of submission should be no big deal. It's just our calling. But it took some courage, because when Sarah heard that she was going to have a baby, she was very afraid. And Peter says, don't be afraid. Be a courageous woman, because it takes absolute courage to be a woman who hopes in God when year after year after year you pray for your husband and you don't see any spiritual change. And every morning you wake up and you say, maybe today, maybe today he'll pick up his Bible. Maybe today he'll hear something on the radio. Maybe today, God, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen. And maybe today he'll start leading spiritually. Maybe today he'll ask us to pray. Maybe today... And the heart of every Christian woman wants that from her husband. And if that goes on and on and on, year after year after year, it takes an unbelievable amount of courage and strength as a Christian woman to keep hoping in God. But that's what the women of faith have done through the years. They were not weak. They were not timid. They're not fearful. They were bold, strong, courageous women who hoped in God. And they realized that even if God doesn't change this man, it's still my calling to respect him and to love him. And it's part of my suffering as a Christian. But one day, he may be one. And it's an absolutely beautiful thing when it takes place. Lee Strobel who was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune and an avid atheist. He recently came out Christian years later. He wrote three books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, and The Case of East for Easter. He's a hard-nosed Chicago Tribune news reporter for years. He's a hardcore atheist when he was in junior high he started having questions about god and nobody wanted to answer his questions so he thought well god must not exist and then when he got into high school he really delved into evolution and said there's just no way that god can exist and when he got to college he had a professor that talked to him about how the historical jesus didn't really exist and it just hardened him and hardened him and he was absolutely cynical absolutely skeptical he hated anything to do with christianity and then one day, his wife became a Christian, and someone asked him, how did, I, how did you become a Christian? And his response was this, my wife's conversion to Christianity, which deeply troubled me at first, but it resulted in a lot of positive changes in her attitudes and behavior, which I found winsome and intriguing. And through his wife's winsome and intriguing change of attitudes, change of actions, her faith in Jesus Christ that she just lived out before him, without preaching at him, without nagging him about it. When opportunity came, she would invite him to church. Through that, this hardened Chicago Tribune newspaper who hated God, hardcore atheist, the gospel woke him up. And he was won over by his wife's testimony. Listen. It is a hard life if you know people in that situation or if you're in that situation as a Christian woman. But the Bible says in 1 Peter two twenty-five, For you were straying like sheep, But you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Which means God knows the situation that you're in. He knows your husband. He knows your husband's heart. He knows your friend's heart. And he's the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he would call you to just keep doing good. Because Jesus is our and is your example. And he calls us as a church cornerstone to be supporting those types and situations and those women and praying for them and lifting them up in prayer so that they can see their husbands one for Jesus Christ and radically change them for the gospel.
1: Water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord. Our- break the line.